0: So we are in um, Matthew 6. We've been going through the book of Matthew together as a church for 14 weeks. This is week 14. And uh, it's just amazing how relevant everything is. And I just want to point that out on a regular basis because I think one of the lies that people tend to believe is that the Bible is not relevant to now, and it's really not true. We're going to see that this morning, talking about worry or anxiety about the future. And um, and along those lines, I just wanted to, I, I forgot to do this last week, but just to congratulate everybody who went through the Read the Bible in a Year plan and finished it. That's fantastic, so good job. Yay! Um, that's a really important thing to do. I recommend that highly. If you have never read just through the entire Bible to make sure you've actually laid eyes on all of it. It's a pretty great thing, and it does a lot for you, both in terms of just your confidence, but also getting this kind of bird's eye view of the whole scripture is really helpful, okay? But um, it does take work, right? It takes work, it takes effort, it takes thought, uh, it takes the Holy Spirit, Uh, empowering your mind and empowering your heart to receive all those things but it is relevant okay and so this morning we're looking at Jesus brings up the topic of worry or anxiety and I don't think I have to really ask I have it in my notes to ask but it's not really I already know the answer which is who is anybody struggle with worry of course uh, everybody does on some level um worry about something um and so Jesus is going to address this, not just, not just because of your emotional happiness, okay? He's addressing it for a very big, a very important reason. And so I think if we get down to the reason why Jesus is addressing it, it actually will help us not worry, okay? But it also makes us more than just people that don't worry, right? Because there's more going on here. So I'm going to read this. Uh, this is Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Uh, And we'll work our way through these verses together. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be Also, this is a very well-known scripture, especially that last bit, verse 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This is the primary principle Jesus is teaching here, okay, that's supported by verses 19 and 20. So what we treasure ultimately rules over us. It's the thing that drives you. Your treasure, as in the way that Jesus is talking about it, is sort of the thing you want the most or the things that you want the most. Our treasure governs our decisions, it governs our priorities, and it determines what our definition of success is. Okay, so when you start thinking about it that way, we're not necessarily always just talking about material things, though he talks about that, and that's his main application here. The principle is where your treasure is, the thing you want the most is what drives you, that's where your heart is, okay? D.A. Carson, I quote him a lot because he's got a great commentary on Matthew. If you're looking for a commentary on Matthew, he's got one on the whole book of Matthew, but also one on the Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, excuse me, not, not just the Beatitudes. Here's what he says about this. We think about our treasures. We are drawn toward our treasures. We fret about our treasures. We measure other things and other people by our treasures. This is so painfully true that a person who honestly examines himself can pretty well discover what his real treasures are simply by studying his deepest desires, okay? So that's how we would identify what your treasure is, or the way, to put it in Jesus' terms, where your treasure is, okay, where you're storing it up. This is one of those sayings of Jesus that's well known, and on the surface it's very simple, but the more you think about it, the more you kind of look at yourself and analyze your desires, analyze your idols, the deeper and more difficult it gets, right? So then Jesus moves on to this idea of the light, and this is the same concept, okay? He's talking, this is the same topic. Verse 22 to 24, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, verse 24 there is the point of that metaphor, right? So that, this is, the whole light body thing is really hard to understand. And the, the reason it's hard to understand is because it's hard to translate because it's, it's like a mixed metaphor using very idiomatic ideas and images and words that made a lot of sense to them at the time and it's hard to translate. I think of like for us, maybe the closest thing we have is to say like, if I give someone the evil eye. If, tra- imagine trying to translate that like into Spanish or into German or something. You'd have to find an equivalent expression, but if you couldn't, if you just translated that literally, like, like are you saying like you have an eye And it's evil, and you're giving that odds. It would make no sense if you translated it literally. And there's something like that going on here in this verse, okay? And so if if you're struggling with stumbling over verse 22 um, and verse 23, that's understandable. That's probably why you're stumbling over it, okay? It's just a difficult phrase to get across, all right? I think what Jesus is saying there is that the person that is morally divided between a focus on worldly things and a focus on spiritual things, or a person who is focused on worldly things only, which would make you ungenerous, it would make you selfish, okay? If you were only focused, if your treasure, for example, was having a certain amount of money in the bank and a certain amount of money in retirement, and that's how you saw success, then that's your ultimate drive, that's your ultimate desire. That would make you exclusive about that one thing and selfish about it. The last thing you would do is give away your money, right? Because that's not success to you. And I think that's what he's saying. Jesus is saying that a stingy, ungenerous person cannot see where he's going and is also spiritually blind, spiritually blind. So a divided joy, divided allegiance, divided treasure, or an undivided treasure, but in the wrong thing, both lead to spiritual blindness, okay? Look at what he says next about anxiety. This is, I think, where we begin to get more personal and it begins to get more difficult, right? He says in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, he says, "'Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So the first thing we got to notice here is the therefore right at the beginning. In other words, everything that comes after the therefore is, comes from, is tied to logically what came before the therefore, okay? That's why you gotta read and understand this stuff about laying your treasure up in the wrong place before you can understand this command about anxiety, okay? So the word anxious here means worry or apprehension about the future. What he's not addressing, at least directly, is what we now tend to call anxiety, which is this kind of misfiring um, fight or flight response that we have sometimes to because maybe because of PTSD or because of some other trauma or because we live in a high stress environment and so our adrenaline's always pumping and so we're all out of whack, we're kind of nervous, our body kind of goes crazy. Um, These kind of things are neurological issues as much as their spiritual issues all right but what i want you to see is even if that's something you struggle with quite often worry even about that is associated with it like people who have panic attacks it's very common for them to worry constantly about having a panic attack which triggers a panic attack it's a horrible cycle right And so, what we're talking about here is worry. We're talking about apprehension about the future. You look at tomorrow, or the next hour, or the next 10 years, and you worry somehow that you're not gonna be taken care of, you're not gonna have what you need, you're gonna be lost, forgotten, abandoned by God, you're not gonna have food on the table, a roof over your head, those kind of, that's worry. Or you're gonna get sick, or your spouse is gonna get sick, what, that's, that's what we're talking about here is just apprehension or fear, worry about the future. It's clear how this section flows from the previous one, right? It's pretty obvious what the therefore is there for, right? That's <laughs> uh, a pretty great pastor joke, right? Um, but it's obvious why it's there. Don't make your life about chasing the things of this world, including your own provision and care. God knows what you need, and He's a good Father, and He's going to take care of you. Everything that you need, He will take care of. It is in His hand, and you worrying about it, number one, won't change anything. And number two, it's sin. And it's sin because it's a lack of trust, a lack of faith in God. Worry about tomorrow's provision is a sure sign of treasure laid up in the wrong place and not only is it sinful it adds nothing to you doesn't worrying about something has never solved anything you ever notice that (laughs) you're worried about like losing your job because things aren't good at work people are getting laid off or whatever or maybe you've you've not gotten a good performance review and you're worried and you're worried does it change anything about what actually happens no it never does half the time the stuff you worry about never even happens and that small percentage of things that you worry about that actually do happen, the worrying changed nothing. It would have happened anyway, right? So it's practically silly to worry, but we don't worry because we're gonna, it's going to change something, right? We worry because it's a compulsion. So here's a thing that I think is brilliant about what Jesus is saying here: is The alternative, from Jesus' perspective, the alternative to worrying is not just not caring about tomorrow. Because there's those people too, right? This kind of attitude of I don't care what happens, say la vie, that's not good either. Those people tend to not prepare and not be wise and um, not work hard or not put any money in the bank because they don't care and they're not worried about anything. That's denial. That's foolishness. Proverbs calls that person a fool, right? Someone who doesn't care about tomorrow. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not about just emptying yourself of all desire, like the Buddhists say. The goal is to concern yourself with something else, something greater than tomorrow, something more important than tomorrow, which is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's Jesus's point, is that your life is not about tomorrow. Your life is not about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do, how you're going to provide. Your life is not about preserving your own life. Your life is about spending, pouring out your life for what? For seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Two things we should be about. The kingdom of God and the righteousness of Christ growing in our christ likeness growing in our christian maturity growing to be more like him if it sanctifies you further it's worth pursuing and if it expands and advances and strengthens the kingdom of god and the purposes of the kingdom of god then it is worth doing in fact i would say it's worth dying for if it's one of those two things because what else are you doing with your life Right? What else is worth spending your life on? Nothing. So we declare the good news to the world. We make disciples. We grow in Christian maturity. Live what Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about for weeks now. Teach others to do the same. So you make this your obsession that rules over your life, your decisions, your goals, your plans, and your priorities. Each one of us is a full-time missionary, You see how quickly this becomes not about, well, I worry too much. I shouldn't worry so much. Like that's not what Jesus is after here. Not exactly. What he's after is your worry is like a big red flag. It's like a signal flare going up in the sky that's obvious that everybody can see that says your treasure is in the wrong place. You are not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You are seeking first your own kingdom, your own provision, your own way, your own life, your own comfort, your own safety. You're not thinking like a full time missionary. And this, this is Jesus' problem, this is his concern. He wants us to seek first the kingdom and seek first his righteousness and everything else absolutely everything else is secondary. And it's so secondary that God has already determined how he is gonna provide for you with those things. He says, I'll add these things to you, don't worry about them. What you should be concerned about is the kingdom and his righteousness. So I wanna try to make this more specific to each one of us, all right? and kind of describe what, what would a person look like or live like that was, is seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, all right? And we could k- kind of build a profile for days, all right? But I just want to kind of get your mind thinking this way. So you have this picture of the kind of life you want to live. If you could picture the kind of life you want to live with the kind of values and priorities that you want to have, It begins to let you see how you need to grow, okay? And what you need to ask God to do in your life. So I hope this will help you. So what might a person's life look like that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Here's 12 things I thought of. One, money would never be the reason they do anything, including what job they do or where they live. You you never make a decision based on money by itself. Number two, money would never be the reason they don't do something. There's not enough money in it or it's going to be too expensive. Either way, it's never a reason not to do something. Number three, how much time something will take from them would never be a reason to say no. Well, I don't have the time. Never hear that come out of a person's mouth that says, I'm seeking first the kingdom. Unless there's some other more important kingdom priority that doesn't allow time for another kingdom thing, right? Number four, every decision would be made based on kingdom impact and impact on their own sanctification. So you make decisions in your life based on what would be the ke- impact on the kingdom of God if I do this versus the if I do this, or what would the impact be on my own sanctification, my own Christ-likeness if I do this or don't do this. So number five, more specific to our current situation in the world, safety would not be first. Safety only factors in as a means to continue impacting the kingdom. So safety is never self-serving for them to live as Christ to die as gain. That's Philippians one twenty-one. So to live, Paul summed this up great. It's perfect. It's such a driving, helpful principle right now in our world. To live. If I live. That means I get to proclaim Christ. I bring glory to Christ with my life. So if I'm living another day, then I'm going to spend that day seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because that's why I'm living. It's not to live as me or to live as happy or to live, to live as good to die as bad. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to live is Christ. For your life is meant to bring glory to him and him alone. To die is gain. To die is gain for you and is gain for Christ. Get, you get to be with Him physically, in the flesh, in person, face to face. That's the principle, right? It's not live so that you can live longer, or live so you can have another day, or live so you can gain more stuff and build more wealth. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I want to just pound that scripture into your mind. A couple of weeks ago, I kind of reiterated this, said it in a different way, which is calling first, safety second. So number six, they would be generous to a point of affecting their own standard of living. So generosity, in scripturally, is defined by when you're being generous when you give to a level where it affects how you live. It affects what you can do. It affects what you can buy. That means that your standard of living goes down because you're so generous. Right now, there's a, there's a mistake you can make that some people would make where you give so much that you're poor. I'm not saying we should do that. I don't think that's wise. But generosity is not just giving. It's giving to a point where it affects your standard of living. That's what a person would be like if they were kingdom first. Number seven, they would be quick to forgive and quick to repent because wasting time being distracted by petty disagreements takes away from precious time given to kingdom advance. So we would say things like Jesus is coming too soon so there's no time to waste messing around with being mad at each other, right? Just that phrase, Jesus is coming soon, if you really believe that, you'll deal with your petty disagreements quickly so you can get back to work, right? So a kingdom first sanctification first person it's quick to repent and quick to forgive because there's no time to waste. Number eight, they would be aggressive in dealing with their own sin and patient in dealing with other sin. When you see sin in your own life, you're aggressive about it because you're sanctification first. Like my character matters more than anything else. So it's kingdom and sanctification, and I see sin in my own heart. I'm going to be aggressive about it, but I'm going to be patient with other people with theirs. Number nine, they would be a people of prayer. We talked about that last week. You can't get any kingdom stuff done, and you can't get any sanctification stuff done without prayer. None of it gets done. Eleven they would be devoted to the church as the only way to build the kingdom of God and the fastest way to grow in Christ's likeness. You can't be a kingdom person and you can't be a person who's after his righteousness without being devoted to the body of Christ in some way. And number 12, they would feel personally responsible for all ministry in the church, not as an observing bystander, but as a participant. And you can see how... When you first read these, these words from Jesus, you can kind of go, oh, yeah, 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 we should, we, we, we should really do that. <laughs> I should really try not to worry. The problem is the more you try not to worry, the more you worry, and then you start worrying about how much you're worrying, and you start thinking, well, what's wrong with me that I worry so much? And now you're worried about your worry, which is insane, right? And now you feel like a crazy person. And that's not the answer. It's not Jesus' point. It's just, he's not saying try not to worry. He's saying put your treasure in another place. Your worry is a sign. It's a signal to you that your treasure's in the wrong place. The antidote to worry is trusting God and seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so you got to look at your life and say, am I, taking the, am I interested in that job because of the money? or because somehow it's going to help me advance the kingdom of God and make me more righteous? Is it going to help me, or is it going to hurt me in that way? Am I thinking about purchasing that item because the status it gives me, or because of how it makes me feel, or am I thinking about purchasing that item because in some way it's going to help me, even if it's going to just help me rest, right? Everything goes back kingdom priority. so worry wants us to shrink back and hedge our bets that's what worry does think about it when you're worried about tomorrow what you don't do is take risks what you don't do is put yourself out there you get tighter and more stingy and more restrictive more worried about your time more worried about your health more worried about what you're wearing and the roof of your head and your job and your income and all of that stuff your retirement account It makes you step, shrink back from what God's called you to do. But perhaps your greatest weapon against worry is greater abandonment to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You must wrestle with God to work out how he is calling you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, irrespective of pandemics and political upheaval, social upheaval. This is your challenge. This is my challenge right now. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? What does it mean to really believe, to live as Christ, to die as gain? I told you a couple of weeks ago, for me and my family, we decided months ago that I'm, like, for me, I'm a pastor missionary. Everybody's a something hyphen missionary, okay? Everybody who's a Christian is a full-time missionary with something hyphenated before it. I'm a pastor missionary. I'm called to be a pastor, and so if it involves pastoring, I'm going to do it. I'll do it as safely as I can, but I'm going to do it. If somebody says, I want you, can I talk to you? I'm going to say, yes. If somebody does that. I'm not going to say, only if you wear a mask and stay six feet away from me. I'm just going to do it. My wife has a, everybody knows, she has a really amazing hospitality gift. She's a many things, including hospitality-missionary, right? Our home's going to be open somebody wants, to, we're going to have people over. We're going to do it. We we'll do it as safely as we can, as carefully as we can, but we're going to, going to do it because to live is Christ, to die is gain. Everybody's got to work out what they are, what their calling is, what their gift is, why God, what your part to play is in advancing, advancing the kingdom of God. And it's more than just coming to church services. We are learning that quickly, aren't we? I think we are as part of what God's doing, as part of why our elders are meeting this, this weekend. Just to sort out what that means for us as a church. But honestly, I can't decide that for you. Like we've got people that are doctors, who are ER doctors, you're, you're a medical missionary. That might mean for you, you can't be around other people. You can only do the medical missionary thing. And you're actually more restricted in some ways than others. So you see there's no blanket rule here. But the rule, the principle is seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You've got to wrestle with God with it. And I just want to push you. I want to provoke you to make those decisions not with your own safety as your first consideration, not with your own wealth as your first consideration, not with your own comfort as your first consideration, not with your own career or your own plans or your own desires as your first consideration, but your first consideration in wrestling with these things with God is, God, how can I devote my life and my family's life to advancing the kingdom of God, live or die? What does that mean for me and my family? So this is Jesus's point. And you can see this, what the disciples, the disciples seem to really get this because you see them go and abandon all else to follow Christ and to pursue his mission in life. So this became the bedrock of their missionary work in the world, and it's why the church exists today. So I'd like to pray for us because I think we need to, as people, we need to get to work. And stop huddling in fear, waiting for the world to change, and allow, give us permission to do what God's called us to do. You do not need permission to fulfill your calling from anybody. You just need to go do it. Amen? So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your challenging words, Lord Jesus. Now, we know that what this ended up meaning for these disciples, it meant a life spent as pastor missionaries, evangelist missionaries, apostle missionaries being sent out around the world, sending the gospel with it, establishing the church and ultimately dying for it, most of them. Dying in pursuit of the cause. And God, I pray that we would no longer see death as the end Where safety is the ultimate value, but instead we would seek first the kingdom and his righteousness above all else. God, that we would be people that lay up our treasure in heaven, not here. God, make us generous people, not just with our money. This church is very generous with its money. God, I pray you would make us generous with ourselves and our time and our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. God, would you start revival among your people in this way in the name of Jesus amen love you guys tons love you loads we'll see you next Sunday morning either in person or online and have a great week see ya